All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 285. Jason Lindgren is with me and a guest that we've had on a few times here, KL. Uh, we've covered many aspects, crucial aspects of law. Um, for those interested, the previous KL episodes are 256 and 274, and they are paramount within the law series. Anyone who needs to know the law series basically just has to send an email. When I get the new website up, there will be a search function. We just don't have one now, so Rose has to direct any, everyone. Anyhow, we're going to be getting into, how can I say this, how to decline so much of the covidious minimus nonsense. But we're going to go further than that, and we're going to get into some of the ideas of what occurs at the birth of a living being. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a fine good morning. All right. Do we have anything? Because there is a lot to go over here. There sure is. Let's do it. All right. Uh, welcome, KL. Hi. Morning, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. So are we going to be handing out documents this time around, or are we just using these for notes? No, I'll, you can release them. All right. So I'm going to just preface right now. I'll put a link in the member notes and we, I'm sorry we have to do it that way, but my server just can't take the open public coming at me. So if you're a member, there will be a link to three scans. Uh, the scans will be numbered something like 74, 75, 76, or 77. There's going to probably be just three scans, but just suffice it to say, that's what it's going to be. Anyhow, KL, can you please, one more time, for all the new folks that have joined us, each one of these documents is color-coded. Typically, in any given doc, you will see the color red, the color blue, the non-color black, and occasionally some highlighting. Can you just reiterate what that means? Sure. I use the same color coding that the government uses and recognizes. Red basically signifies the private person, private man, represents flesh and blood. Uh, it also falls under Article 3 jurisdiction. Blue is designates statutory or what we call district or territorial jurisdiction, uh, you know, artificial uh, entity, artificial beings. Black is just the regular old black. It doesn't have one meaning whatsoever. If I highlight something in yellow, it just means it's very important. You should pay attention and probably read it for at least a second or third time. All right. So just to reiterate for people who are new and have not caught the law series, if you're reading something in red, the idea behind that would be of a living man or a living woman. If you're reading something in blue, the idea of that is someone under the fictitious identity typically called a straw man. That's kind of a broad overview, but it'll get your mind going in the direction it needs to go. So where do you want to jump in here, KL? If you want to read the exhibits, I think that's kind of what we're going to go over in uh, hour one. And again, for the viewers, you know, you, this is all available. I highly recommend you printing out the handouts and then re-listening to it as you're looking at the diagrams. Uh, I just think it sinks in and the learning and understanding uh, is just easier. You know, be before we read this, I should ask again, are you going to be taking contacts on the tail of the show? I know you did before. And I'm assuming you got overwhelmed. Yes, I still get 50, uh, over 50 to 100 a day. Will you be continuing to take emails? Will you yes. be offering up contacts? Yes. All right. Yes, that's I the will. Other, so that's yeah. the other thing, folks. Um, there will be a email address that will be something like KL Freedom. Um, that's not the whole address, but I'll include that next to the link to the documents. 
anyhow, it's all you, Jason. Okay, so do we want to get down here to Exhibit A, January 1st, 2021, from Thomas Joseph Anderson, agent of record and beneficiary for the Private Business Trust, Thomas Joseph Anderson, in all capital letters, to State of Illinois Memorial Hospital, 123 Main Street, Springfield, Illinois, Affidavit of Declination for Offer of Vaccine Product, Actual and Constructive Legal Notice, Notice to Agent is Notice to Principal, Notice to Principal is Notice to Agent. All right, so what I wanted to start with is this is an affidavit. So in other words, when I listened to Agent J, I think it was, what, 281. She was a nurse in New York. She wrote up a, a statement on a letter, gave it to him, that kind of stuff. My personal opinion is this needs to be on an affidavit form. Why an affidavit? Well, that gets into the Alfonso stuff. Affidavit is admissible in a court of law. So if you need this later for any reason, if you are harmed in any way, whether you're fired, harassed, anything at work, this document that you give them in affidavit form is later admissible in a court of law. So it follows the template of an affidavit. Of course, the first one comes now, blah, 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 as an essay in Sujuris over the age of majority, cognizant of the importance of the matter stated herein, incompetent to give testimony, solemnly makes oath that the following statements being true and correct to the best of his knowledge. Every affidavit will start with that opening paragraph that you're, you're swearing under God as if you're testifying in a court of law. Number one, Athian is a man made in the image of God, born on the land and soil of the Illinois state. Number two, Affian is the agent of record and sole beneficiary for the private business trust, the employee, Thomas Joseph Anderson. Now, <clears throat> you know, for those of the listeners that are not undergone the same kind of stuff that I have, you know, this would have to be edited in, into a certain way to fit their situation. So just kind of follow along as it goes. Affian is not the surety trustee, secondarily liable person for the employee, Thomas Joseph Anderson. Affian presently and for the past however many months has had no medical signs or symptoms of any contagious disease process. Affian has repeatedly asked his supervisors whom and what specific authority is legally mandating said specific testing and or vaccine product compliance. But at the present, Affian has not received any response clarifying said authority. Six, Affian has been threatened, harassed, and intimidated that he has not voluntarily consented to said testing slash vaccine compliance. Such threats have included disciplinary actions, suspensions, and dismissal from said employment. So you're laying out in an affidavit its firsthand perfected knowledge. What does the affiant know firsthand that he were, was said to him or done to him? So this is just, again, uh, a list of what is transpiring at work. Seven, affiant states for the record that there is no state of fill in the blank public health agent or assignee granted authority that can legally mandate an asymptomatic employee, specifically, you know, the employee, Thomas Joseph Anderson, to be compelled to non-medically indicated testing or treatment. Number eight, Affian states it would be a HIPAA violation for his supervisors to discuss his present medical condition, let alone mandate any testing or vaccine compulsion. Number nine, this is where I bring in Agent J stuff. Affian is a living man retaining all of my God-given rights, including sole possession and sole use of my biological materials, which are granted to me by my creator. My employer and location of employment has offered testing and or a vaccine product to me pursuant to and satisfying the requirements of their state 
and safety code statutes. Okay, so you're you're claiming that uh, you know that they've told me, you know, that they would offer it to me. That's all you're saying in that one. Number ten, Affian retains the right to decline all attempts to access, influence, and/or otherwise alter any and all of my God-given biological material and/or biological symptoms, which are unique, flawless, original design and craftsmanship of my Creator, and of which my Creator has granted me sole possession proprietorship and full use of now the reason i wrote this originally was a friend of mine was a nurse in illinois and they started mandating just the testing so we thought we would try this approach because we knew if they're going to mandate testing it won't be soon after that they're going to mandate the vaccine so we were going to use this as a beta test to see you know if it worked and how well it worked so he's a nurse in a hospital that just happens to be owned by the state of Illinois. So it's a government run hospital. And uh, he's also a uh, union employee. So one of the first things, you know, when they call you in when he didn't do it was he was stating by what authority and they would say, well, it's our policy. Okay, no problem. Show me the policy. Well, they couldn't show him the policy. And that's a problem because everything runs on policy and procedure with the government. It's got to be written down. It's got to be approved by committees. So there's going to be liability attached to a policy or procedure because who, who wrote the policy, who's enforcing the policy? Liability for who? Liability for the drafter? The staff. Yeah, the state. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, one of the main things I would always, if you just verbally, by what authority do I have to do this? I conditionally accept, but by what authority can you mandate that I do that? And then also in his, uh, because he's union, he's got a contract. Okay, they also stated, well, where in the contract does it say you get that I have to do this? And of course, it wasn't in the contract either. So he gets the union rep and all that kind of stuff uh, involved. But the point being is they continue to have these uh, conferences with him where they were putting pressure on him. They were harassing him, saying, well, you're not going to be able to work. You know, we're going to suspend you. This could end up in you being fired. So it was this constant harass, intimidate threats of uh, retaliation if you don't do it but he stayed on the line you got to show me the authority where's the authority coming from I, I think that's a logical defense to give at this time but we thought the paperwork would really help with this because we knew the paperwork would be shoveled up the ladder you know to the director and then even to the state and then to the state lawyers and this kind of thing so with the affidavit i always put in evidence so as part of the evidence exhibits listed is a one, a copy of the Nuremberg Code, Article 6, and we'll go over this, a copy of the UCC 1 financing statement, which puts a lien on, you know, certain property that you can claim. And I'll go over that too. Copy of the fee and fine schedule for violation of rights. Now, this particular uh, exhibit is in my declaration. Remember way back in the first episode, that thing where the governor of Georgia signed? This specific document is in there with all of the four government uh, witnesses. And then the last one being a copy of denial of rights under color of law, which is a government uh, form. And again, we'll go over that. So you get this notarized and you give this plus the evidence, evidentiary exhibits to your supervisor. And I guarantee this is going to gather attention and going to go up the ladder as far as it has to go. So let's go over the first exhibit to your affidavit would be a copy of the Nuremberg Code, Article 6, Section 1, 
in Section 3. They're real short. I'll go ahead and just read this. First of all, you know, the Nuremberg Code, a violation of Article 6 of the UNESCO 2005 Statement on Bioethics and Human Rights. Article 6, Section 1. Any preventative, diagnostic, and therapeutic medical intervention is only to be carried out with the prior, comma, free and informed consent of the person concerned based on adequate information. Article 6, Section 3. In no case should a collective community agreement or the consent of a community leader or other authority substitute, i.e. a corporate employer, for an individual's informed consent. So basically, we're trying to gather evidence on our side into the affidavit of why our position is correct. And again, hoping that we don't have to, but just in case, you know, you have to sue them. If they want to fire you for not taking the vaccine or taking the testing, we're laying the foundational groundwork for that to occur. Would you agree? Yes. And well, I kind of feel like we should have just went over exactly how you do the affidavit process. The problem is, is there's a lot of people here now that didn't go all the way through the law series. But mm-hmm. Maybe we'll come back around unless you want to try to squeeze that in. I'll try to squeeze it in. You know, an affidavit is a sworn it's as if you're in court on the witness stand where they tell you to raise your right hand okay and you're only allowed to comment or state firsthand perfected knowledge you can't put hearsay you can't say i heard joe who said he heard it from somebody it has to be something that you know and you're signing because you're signing liability here that these are true and correct to the best of your knowledge so an affidavit, think of it as you're testifying under oath in a court of law in front of a judge and jury. You're just doing it on paper instead of doing it in person. That's basically what an affidavit is. I use them all the time because they come in handy. And lawyers, when a lawyer sees one, he knows what that means. He knows exactly that this is gonna this could go to court, and I've already got their testimony. And now what has to happen legally is they have to rebut your affidavit point by point, line by line, in order to undo the affidavit, because an unrebutted affidavit stands as truth. I think Alvonso said that's one of his things. And demonstrated by any summary, any summary quarter of summary judgment, an affidavit that is unrebutted is in fact truth and has to be treated as such. That's right. So this is truth and still unless they want to rebut it. And you gave them notice. So that's pretty clear to me that if you're harmed later, who's got the hot potato, who's got the liability, they do. All right. We should also probably point out, um, we've done a lot on affidavits. If people want to go back to the Alphonse episodes, Alphonse does so much with affidavits, but basically what you're doing is you're filling it out as you'll see the example that, that we post here, but you're going to want to get that, uh, two witnesses on the affidavit and, um, what's it called when they put the stamp on it, Kale? What's the sealing process called? I've forgotten. Notary, a notarized Notary. seal. There, there yes. you go. So you'll get it notarized. Which is a government witness. And because it's on uh, notary signs it, the notary does not have to come into court to swear that they did it. It's taken as automatic fact and witness that they don't have to come. If you have two private witnesses, they, the court might make those come to court to testify. So I use a notary for public stuff that I want in the public. Is there any reason why a notary would decline to offer their services for this? No, no, I don't. I don't think they can actually. Right. Right. It's their duty. Right. Yep. So again, 
Using a government witness makes it admissible in court of law. Bingo. They can't say no to the affidavit. They can't say, no, we're not going to accept it. It's in there. It's truth until proven otherwise. So, you know, it's the old, I call it the hot potato. You don't want that. Nobody wants, you don't want the hot potato. You want to give it to them. That hot potato is the liability issue. Or some people use the analogy of a tennis game. They hit you the ball where you got to hit it back to them. You don't want it. And you do it by using affidavits. You shift the liability to them by using an affidavit is what you're doing. And can we give the quickie version on what makes that affidavit important in the first place, like what it is and what it does and why they have to acknowledge it? Well, you're stating facts, firsthand perfected knowledge of the facts is why it's important. And again, this could turn out to be legal. I'm doing this affidavit on the chance that if they fire me, I'm going to have to take them to court. So I want to win the case before I get there. So the affidavit is swearing under oath testimony to the facts of the case. And if you sue someone, you have to have an affidavit anyways. I don't know if you know that. But to sue anybody in court, primary requirement is an affidavit signed, a complaint. They call it a complaint. So somebody's got to take liability for claiming somebody did me wrong, right? That's the issue. Okay. Um, so we're still working our way down so-called Scan 74, which, by the way, KL, we're going to have to uh, redo this document. Uh, we'll talk about that after the fact. But we okay. just finished the Nuremberg section. Yes. The next one is the UCC financing statement, which um, you know, I've done years ago, but it's one of the things you can do in the public to claim the straw man property or anything that might be will have the straw man's name on it. So in a UCC statement that you file with the Secretary of State, you can file it in your birth state or the state you live in or any other state. It doesn't matter because if you file it in one state, it's as if you filed in all of the states. So under a specific heading under collateral, I'll just read a sentence here. This is the entry of collateral by the secured party, which is me, the real man, on behalf of the private business trust in the commercial chamber under necessity to secure the rights, titles, and interest and value therefrom in and out of the root of title, which means I'm claiming a loyal title to everything, the legal and equitable title, especially to my own body. From the inception, all property held in trust, but limited to any DNA, cell DNA, cell lines, retinal scans, fingerprints, blah, blah, blah. So. What I previously did was make a claim on my own DNA that is my property. Now, the new vaccine comes right out and tells you that it's messenger RNA. It wants to change your DNA, right? Have you guys read that? Yeah, that's one of the many things that are going around, RNA and DNA modification. So I'm proving with the copy of the UCC1 that's got the government stamp on it that I've already made a claim that that's my DNA and you can't see, this is my, another part of my legal claim that you can't touch my body. It's my DNA. You can't alter it in any way without my permission. These kinds of issues, you just don't have the right. I've already made the claim. You can't. Well, where does the idea of owner, you know, you always hear this, this cliche about law where ownership is nine tenths of the law. Um, clearly you're in possession of your DNA. Uh, does that play into this? If you don't, if you've never done the documents you're putting out. Right. Well, ownership, owner of uh, possession is nine tenths of the law. Ownership is the other 10%. So you had it a little backwards there. So possession uh-huh. is nine tenths of the law, which means you have equitable title. You have the use and possession of the body, but the legal title 
That's what the birth certificate, certificate of live birth at the state level does. It takes the legal title to the name of the body away from you. And we're going to get into that at the end of this hour, okay. uh, how to get that back and why it's important to get that back. So under you got to think like them, that they think they have a claim under the certificate of live birth, state created one, that they have a right to that uh, property. That's the assumption. Okay. So they're going to act under that assumption until you rebut it with this evidence. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to rebut up front their presumption that they have a legal ownership claim on my body or my name or my property. And do they technically, due to all the birth certificate and all that stuff, so they technically can order anyone who's complying with the system to do this thing? Yes. Yes, they do. And this is the break in the system. This is what you're doing to say no. Yeah, yes. but will they, will they actually admit that in court? No, nor, but yeah, a pro, okay, yeah. you were in the military, right? Right. They right. vaccinated you, right? Many times. You, you, you didn't get a choice, did you? No, that's a little different than me <laughs> walking around outside of the military, but I get, right. you know, I see where because, you're headed there. Yes. I, I, I understood I wasn't even, you know, I'd given basically myself away as property to the government for that period of time. Yes. When I was in, we had a couple people, they didn't want the air gun shot because, you know, it hurt major arm bleed. So what they do, they had three guys hold them down. They gave it to them anyways. Yep. Okay, because they thought they had the perfect right to do it, which legally they did because it was their property. And this is what you have to kind of understand that principle so you can undo the principle and rebut their presumptions because they're going to act on presumption and assumption. I just guarantee they will. They're going to, just like they did with my friend that was the nurse, they're going to act like they have control of him until they're told otherwise. And, and as a responsible American national, that's what your job is, is to stand up for your rights and to tell them. Another word is notice them. So the affidavit on the front page, actual and constructive legal notice. So you have to tell them this is all part of being a responsible free man is living in the commerce. This is what you're forced to do. OK, right. now the next exhibit. Again, unless you've gone through the process like I have, you're not going to have this. But, you know, you can always make do one of these uh, even if you're not a, a person. So this exhibits is the header is the Declaration of Fee and Fine Schedule for violation or deprivation of the constitutionally secured rights of, you know, let's say Thomas Joseph Anderson. Known by all men by these presents, including all officers, agents and representatives. So, again, you're giving notice to all agents of the government, uh, any corporate entity, that this is what's going to happen if you violate my constitutionally secured rights. Number one, do hereby declare the violations of my natural, unalienable, and inalienable rights will cost you and your office the following amounts in Federal Reserve notes being legal tender for all debts. Now, there's a bunch of these listed. I'm just going to go over the important ones. Next one. Further, I am not a person under the Trading with the Enemy Act as amended by the Emergency Banking Relief Act, nor do I consent to being said person in any form whatsoever, be it public or private. Why do you have to say that? Well, that's a rebuttal of that they think they have the legal title to the name of the person that's defined under Trading with the Enemy Act. In the Motor Vehicle Code, person is defined as the same criteria under Trading with the Enemy Act. This is how they legally try to say that they have the legal rights to do what they do. All right. Next, 
highlighted period. This is what I'm going through near the bottom if you guys are following. Further, any violation of my rights protected by the Constitution of the United States of America will be a breach of trust. Further, all fees will be doubled if I, Thomas Joseph Anderson, is treated in any way like an enemy, rebel, or belligerent under a de facto military government. All fees and fines will be tripled if I am harmed or injured in any way. All fees and fines will increase by 25% annually after the year of 2015. Then I give a whole page of the rights that might be violated under my name or let's say the nurse's name or whatever. Number four, intimidation or threatening to harm my rights. The fine, $5 million. Number five, assaulting or touching, $5 million. Number 12, forced injections, vaccinations, implants, $5 million. Number 18, breach of trust, another $5 million. So right there, I've got $20 million worth of fines that have already increased 25% since 2015 when I first filed this so you're talking a whole lot of money if they violate my rights well there's something else we should add in here under the first bullet point i noticed when you were talking about federal reserve notes you also stipulated that that could be converted to gold or silver specie or coin yes dollars being gold or silver or currency redeemable in gold or silver coin the point i'm making is we've done shows to show that fiat's made it a keyboard so if you said 500 million, who gives a damn? It's a keyboard somewhere. But what you've done is you've made it actual specie, which is in fact actual value. Yes. But again, it's, it's the idea that it's the notice. You're telling them what's going to happen if they harm you in any way, firing you, intimidating you, force, forcefully vaccinating you, anything like that. You've got to give them notice to say, I warned you. What's going to happen if you do this? That means... The liability shifts to them because that means they were told ahead of time what's going to happen, knowing full well they went ahead and took that action anyways. You see how they're liable if they do anything legally. All right. The last one I like, <laughs> this is a government form. Violation of warning, denial of rights under color of law, violation of warning, 18 U.S. Code. So list a couple of these. I'm going to go over this. This is the one that I think really will scare the lawyers. Legal notice and warning. So again, it's a notice. Federal law prohibits that it is a crime to violate the constitutional rights of a citizen under the color of law. You can be arrested for this crime and you can also be held personally liable for civil damages. Attempting to coerce or deceive a citizen to surrender his constitutional rights is a federal crime. Federal courts have found that your ignorance of the law is no excuse. Ooh, I love that paragraph. So it states a couple of these. 18 U.S.C. 242 provides that whoever under color of law willfully subjects any person in any state, territory, possession or district to the deprivation of any rights, privileges or immunities secured or protected by the Constitution or laws of the United States. And again, let's go back just a little bit. You know, when I do my private trust, I'm claiming one of the we the people that I have those constitutionally protected and secured rights. That's what that one document, again, from signed by the governor of Georgia states. 18, U.S. Code 245, provided whoever acting under color of law intimidates or interferes with any person from particip participating in or enjoying any benefit, service, privilege, program, facility, or activity, or administered by the United States by any agency of the United States. Okay, so... All these corporations are agencies of the parent corporation, United States Inc., that was formed in 1871. So all hospitals 
our corporations of the state of Illinois, and that's subcorporation of the United States, Inc. So they're all covered under the same corporate structure. 42 U.S.C. 1983 provides every person shall be liable to the party injured in an action at law suit in equity or other proceeding for redress. So even in the government forms, it says it could be done at, at law, court jurisdiction, or a suit in equity. We kind of went over this in the last one. Suit in equity is Article Three jurisdiction where the private man can bring a suit. So even on their government forms, it's stating I can bring a suit in equity to sue them, being a private citizen. All right? Warning, you may be in violation of federal law. Persisting with your demand may lead to your arrest and or civil damages. Also understand that the new that the law provides that you can be held personally liable and, and liable as well as your company or agency. You are advised to cease and desist with your demand and to seek personal legal counsel if you do not understand the law. So what do you think happened when he gave them this packet? I imagine their eyes glazed over and they started thinking better of it. But I, I you know, I, yes. I even suspect that any people who are interacting in this way with a so-called employer or anyone else, just to get an affidavit, those people are not going to be prepared. That's not going to, for most of them, they'll have never seen a thing like that, which yes. probably means it will go unrebutted, which then in fact establishes a truth that can't be knocked down. But by the time you're going through here, well, I'll, I'll let you carry. I mean, it's pretty clear. You're, you're, you've, you've stated all these monetary losses that could be incurred if they violate your rights. But I think this really kind of has more teeth than usual because we're talking about gold and silver here, and that's real value to anybody. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm, I personally think this vaccine stuff is really serious. They're really attempting to harm you here. This is not a game anymore. It's not a verbal sparring match. This, this, this has gotten to the level of we're now going to do you harm and if you don't, you know, you've got to do what we say. So end game, end game. Everyone treated equally, game. dispassionate, yes. the rich and poor alike. There we are. Right. So I felt I had to be very, very clear with I'm going to fight back. And I tried to bring in everything that I knew of that would get their attention, or if they headed up the ladder to the CEO, he's obviously going to take it to the attorneys. The attorneys are going to say, are you out of your freaking mind? You know, don't do anything. Let this guy go. It's not worth it. That's what you're hoping for. And that's, that's what happened. So they, they all of a sudden stop bothering. All right. So that's going to be scan 74. Do you want to push into 75? No, 76, I think is the one, the next one I want. Okay. I'm actually calling that one scan 77 just to make the differentiation. All right. Yeah, that's what I put on, on my sheet. All right. So I'll, I'll take us in. Uh, there's a note at the top of scan. I think we're going to call this 77. Basically, there's two scans, 76 and 77. There's addendums to 76 in 77. So we'll probably just use 77. Yes. But at the top of this, I'm going to read in black uh, the header here, Kale. Crow, I listened to podcast number 195. With KK, that would be Kirk Callenbach. He talked about when the umbilicus is cut, you have the embryo or fetus child along with the afterbirth. I drew a diagram as to what I do by going to court and doing an adult name change. So basically, this is addressing what I consider to be fraud that happened to each of us at birth when we got our birth certificate. 
which Kurt Collenbach so succinctly broke down uh, in a way that I've never heard it broke down. So go back and catch the Kurt Collenbach episodes when they cut your umbilicus and the whole, all the maritime nonsense that goes with this. And it is nonsense, but whether it's nonsense or not, it's binding almost everybody who holds a birth certificate. Yes. So you want to jump in? Sure. I made a diagram and I really hope this helps visualize what Kurt talks about, what is going on at the hospital when this happens. And the header on my page was, it's always about going back and making the claim. And before I do this, I'm going to bring in an analogy of going to the grocery store. You know, all of us is going to the grocery store. They have all these little bags now. You probably got five, 10 every bag. So every time you go, what would happen if you forgot one of those bags at the grocery store? Well, first of all, before you leave, they give you a receipt, right, Crow? Right, yep. Jason? Yep. Okay. That receipt is proof you paid for those, that property, right? It is. Okay, so let's just say you somehow left one of those bags at the store, went home, but then you noticed, hey, I'm missing something. I'm going to go back. Well, that receipt is your, for lack of a better word, claim ticket, right? It's your evidence that that bag of groceries that they probably have behind the desk is yours. Okay, I see where you're going here. Would you agree? Yeah, Yeah. I guess I would. (laughs) I, I, I get what you're about to do, too. It's like a pawn ticket. Hey, that property you're holding back there is mine. I came back to claim it, right? So let's go back to the diagram. So when you're born, the umbilicus cut. Now now you have two entities, you have them, and they're both alive. You have the baby, right? And then you have the umbilical cord plus the placenta. Well, that's still beating, so that's still alive, all right? So the left being in red, being private, is, you know, John Henry Doe, the baby, the zygote, the embryo, the name granted by the parents. To the right, the afterbirth, when it's separated in the umbilicus, it's presumed to die. So it's born alive, but presumed to die. So they give it, the state comes along because you abandoned, you left that property at the grocery store. Okay. They consider that abandoned salvage. So they get to act like a custodian. They put a name to it. The all caps entity, John Henry Doe, which represents the conception, the umbilical cord, and the afterbirth. Name is created by the state. It's artificial, comes under Article One jurisdiction. Okay? So you're both seeing this. You had one entity, it gets split into two, one being real, flesh and blood, and the other one turns into this statutory entity name. All right? Now, one of the things I have my students do is go to court and do what's called an adult name change. And what you're doing is you're asking the judge to change that all capital three name to the upper lowercase name. And in the public, in the legal sense, this is what happens. You're taking the umbilical, you're rejoining the two entities. Okay. And I think spiritually, you would kind of agree to this, that now the two things got separated. They were one. That's the problem. Kurt really gets into this. That's the whole issue. But we're going to bring them back together spiritually into one by doing the name change. You're reuniting the artificial with the real person back into one. Now, under law, under their system, this is what happens. It's called the doctrine of merger. You're merging the two titles, the two trusts together. Because each one of them is a trust. You have one certificate of live birth from the county, right? Would you say for the red... John Henry Doe, and then you have a certificate of live birth from the state for the all caps person, 
the afterbirth right on the right in blue. When you put those together, you're merging the two trusts. And then I put a description and you want a higher right and a lower right over the same subject matter. The lower right is extinguished. When a beneficial right by nature, because it's your property, it's you, of a living man claims the beneficial right of a legal fiction over the same subject matter. And that's what you're doing to go into court. You're making that claim that that's my property. You know what, Your Honor? I left that thing at the grocery store and I finally come back to claim it. Now that I'm at the age of majority and I know what I want to do, I want to run my own business fairs, I'm coming back to claim that abandoned property. The higher right wins because rights by nature trump rights by legal. And I put in there, shit happens behind the scenes and the government computers want you to do the name change and notify the Social Security Administration. I'm telling you, this is the, one of the biggest things that you could possibly do. The other major thing that happens with the decree is the state created straw man without the real man surety is now a dead entity. Not presumed dead, he is now deceased. There is no surety. You're not attached to that thing anymore. You're not carrying the liability because you extinguished, vitiated, killed that straw man trust. Now all you got left is the other one. You can't have two trusts. So the left, one on the left, by claiming you're right by nature that it's your property, you've come back to claim it. And you know what? That birth certificate is actually the evidence of your claim. It's your claim ticket. You're, you're bringing it back to the pawnbroker and saying that stuff behind the wall you got or in the vault is mine. I want it back. And they'll give it to you, but you got to have the claim ticket. Would you agree? Right. But it sounds to me like we need to, there's two claim tickets here because there was a COLB yes. created by the state and there was another live birth created by the county. What you need to have your hands on is the county, right? Yes. And you take the state one and you send it back to the, the secretary of treasury. Now, why do you send it back to the secretary of treasury? Because he's the alien, property alien custodian who took the property in 1933 or was designed as the designee to hold all of that property in abeyance until this national emergency is over with. So you have to send it back to him. Here, it's yours. I don't want it anymore. It's not mine. It has nothing to do with me. So is the name of the living man or living woman on the county birth certificate, the one that's local to the place they were born, does, is that name written in uppercase, lowercase? Yes, normally. Some states like California when you get the county certificate of live birth, it's in all caps. But think of it as, as upper lower, that it belongs to the real man. It's evidence that the real baby boy was born. Or girl. Or girl. Now, and right. here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the certificate is the title, the equitable title. They give possession of the baby to the parents, right? The parents take the baby home. They have possession of it. And the proof of that possession is the certificate. The bonded certificate is saying you have equitable title to it, but we're going to hold legal title to the name, the upper lowercase name, because your mom registered it with that application for the birth certificate. She registered the legal name with us. You just took the baby home, but the name stayed here in the government. Then they send that to the state, and then the state creates the, the all-capital straw man from that claim on the legal name. Is that too confusing? No, it's not, but it's got me thinking about so many things we see being pushed, like gender reassignment, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're thinking what I'm thinking when you think about gender reassignment. Now you're you're actually, I don't even know what it means. I mean, if you're I, born, I don't think you can do it, right. Yeah, so it creates a whole can of worms, doesn't it? 
Yes, it does. So the next two pages uh, were what we didn't kind of quite finish on the last episode was the difference and how this whole thing starts with the birth. So the first page is the county certificate of live birth, and the second page is the state-created certificate of live birth. Okay? So the very first one, if you look at it, look at the number right at the left-hand top corner, 112-31-3011173. Do you see that? That's circled in pink on the certificate of birth. Yes, yes, the 112-31. Got it. All right. So now flip the page, go to the next one, and look at the state one. It's one one two dash nineteen thirty one. Okay, so wait a minute. Let me let me just compare those. Three zero one one seven three, and then it's three zero one one seven three nineteen thirty one. That one just is truncated to thirty one. Well, the yes one, the first one has just got thirty one. The second one's got nineteen thirty one. It's got different. They added two two numbers to it. Well, is, is that a date reconciliation there, or is that just a number? It's just a number. But it's, okay. it does represent the date. But the point is, is if they change numbers or added numbers, it's a different entity. So this gets back to my my thing about this is two different entities. This is the proof they're two different things. You've got two different numbers. You've got one. They're very close. They're only two numbers off. Right? Right. Is there any kind of excuse they would throw at you about this, though? No. no so this is definitive proof? It's, yes. the re- it's the reworking of the same record. So by their own rules, they, they can't really argue it, can they? No. No. Everything is identical. And the only thing that I see different is the truncation of 1931-231. And so I, I don't know exactly what it, it may be a date or something. But the point is, is all the other information is basically verbatim except for the case type of and, type. And the font. Look at the font difference. Oh, wow. The, the certificate of library from the county, the first one, is up typed. and lower. It's typed. Yes. It's and typed the, and written by hand. Yeah. And the other one so, is all capped. Yes. So you, you just became a Roman slave. Yes. Wow. All right. So just for everyone listening, I know we're, we're talking a lot. This will be probably scan 77. What we're doing here is we're looking at scans of two separate um, birth certificates. The one that gets issued at the county which is locally where you were born, where presumably the doctor there witnessed that you were born alive. Then what happens is this information makes its way to the state where you are formally, (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, enslaved. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Yes, because a a sole corporation, which is an artificial person bonded to a a natural person, is created. So they, they create it, the all caps name, and then have you surety to it. That means you're liable to that. You're attached to it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this freaking violates the UNESCO law. Or no, the uh, what was the other set from the the war? The war. The Hague Convention. Yeah. No, no, no. You cited something that was a, that I associate in my mind with war law. The UNESCO treaty. After that, uh, but anyhow, one of see. the laws. One of the laws we cited. Basically, they're violating that because they're infringing on you yes but again this is all done under assumption and presumption and i told you before more than once under the color of law deceit you have the ability to go back now this is look at the date of this this is 1931 i can go back today almost 90 years later and change this because it was done under the color of law the nuremberg code yes 
So if I'm not mistaken, all I'm saying is some of the high level legal ideas and laws that you've laid down, to my mind, put this act that we are dissecting here in violation of your rights from the get go. And your point is they don't they do this all the time. Right. They're waiting for you to come back and claim this stuff. We took it under color of law. We're going to hold it here till you come back and claim it. We'll give it to you, you, but you got to come back and get it. The way you worded that, do you feel, do you think that they really are waiting for people to to wake up and, and undo all this? Do you think that's really true? I think that they would all be dead and hung if they didn't provide a remedy to when they do these deceitful things under their religion and under their law, they have to provide remedy. They have to provide the solution. Now, they don't have to tell you what the solution is. Their opinion is you figure it out and you it's there if you can figure it out. Kind of like the Matrix. You better bump into Morpheus or KL or Kirk Kallenbach or somebody. Yes. And Colonel Randolph House or whatever, he said, you know, you'd be lucky if one in a million can figure this out. And that was back in 1918. Yeah, you know, I'm not too worried about it, man. We're going into an age of knowing, and every fiber of my being says that this whole thing's coming down. Right. So again, so, two two trusts are created, two entities are created under two different jurisdictions. You're going to reunite them physically, spiritually in their system, because again, this is not only just about you, but it's getting them to recognize your new status. Mm-hmm. So you have to do things in their system on their forms, right, in order to get them to change it in their system. It's their so, sandbox. So for people listening, I'm just going to try to frame this out so they can think about it. In Scan 77, at the very top, on the left side of the document, we go down in red, which is private or the living man or woman. On the right side, we start out in blue, which is the fictitious straw man idea. So just so you understand, when you are summoned into a court, and you go up and show up there, and that judge is holding that document with your name and upper letters and says, hey, John Doe, is this you? The moment you open your mouth and say, yes, that is me, you have just become responsible for the blue fictitious entity that KL is showing you how to remerge here. Just so you get an overall idea of a way to think about what happens to you in a normal course of business, you go to the DMV. Well, what do they hand you? A driver's license. How is your name written? It's all in upper cases. It might as well be in blue, right? Part of what's going on here is, you know, damn well, even after you've merged all this, your driver's license is still going to be in capital letters. But the legal reality under it is that that no longer holds sway over you. In their computer database, that's what you want for the true and correct record. It would almost be funny to do some legal affidavits to force them to reprint your damn license in the correct manner. Uh, actually, I think I could. I just don't. You know, it's one of those things I'm not ready to spend my time on right now. All right. Let, let's wrap it up. So to reiterate everything that's happened here, there are going to be at least three documents. They're going to be color-coded. We explained what the color-coding means. There will be a contact email for KL. And... That's only going to go, all this is only going to members. It has to, because we just can't take the volume otherwise. And if you do take the time to contact KL, do it because you mean it or because it's a worthwhile thing. I know damn well he was going to get pummeled. And in the course of a day, I would say a good third of my emails never needed to be sent to me. 
and think about it. If I'm talking about 200 emails and I spend a minute on each one, <laughs> that's, you know, that's a lot of time yes. out of a life. Um, Jason, anything you want to add in before I wrap up uh, hour one of 285 here? KL, what are we going to do for hour two then so folks know what to look forward to? Okay. We're going to bring in a review of the Libra Code, which is the you know military rule of the federal government in 1863. We're going to review the Trading with the Enemy Act, uh, which happened on March 9th, 1933, and how, again, that plays into the straw man. The straw man is under the jurisdiction of the Trading with the Enemy Act. Everyone in the United States right now today, that's the jurisdiction is the Trading with the Enemy Act of March 9th, 1933. And again, we mentioned it in previous episodes. I just never got to go into full detail. And with everything that's happening and things moving so fast, it's possible that we could get into martial law more. So I really wanted to hit that on why either it's constitution or why they're doing the things that they might possibly do in the near future. So, I mean, it's, do you know to a certainty that the first straw man was created March 9, 1933? That's when it took effect that it was under the jurisdiction. They started recording birth, okay, in 1907. What they did was they gave female federal employees a week vacation of paid if they would record the birth. So then they got everyone to get used to doing that for 25 years. And then, boom, March 9th, 1933, the national emergency puts everything under military law. The Secretary of Treasury becomes the alien property custodian. All registered property becomes goes into a trust that the Secretary of Treasury controls. That's when the day everything happened. Hmm. Okay, so the certificate, the state certificates of live birth come into play after March 9th, 1933. Because that's registered property now in the public. Not that it matters, but it would be so damn interesting if a new living being was born and not in a hospital and the parents registered the name in the Bible and then took that Bible and presented it to go get, I don't know, a passport or something. But that's kind of neither here nor there. But at one time in the world, that's the way it was done. Um, yes. By the way, and I think it's 1915, the Bureau of Census begins to back up everything KL just said. And that's really the change point from a new life being registered in the family Bible and accepted everywhere to a census type bureau and the kind of formal legalization, if that's the right word of everything. But that does bring hour one of 285 to a close. Um, show up for hour two. These are always some of the most action packed and important packed information that you're going to maybe need in the near future if we keep on the track we're on and nothing changes. Lastly, I'd like to uh, wish everyone a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
enemies of knowing.